There's been a thought on my heart that doesn't relate to what I want to preach about, but I just feel like I need to put this thought out there. And I'd ask you as I put this thought out there just to be um, asking the question internally, to be praying and saying, God, is this a thought for me? Is this something to help me tonight and something to help me into next week? And it's a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The first sentence there of this verse, it says this, the temptations in your life, in your life are no different from what others experience. Sometimes when we're going through something, we get to that place where we convince ourselves that we are the only person who is going through this. We are the, sometimes we even go as far as saying, I'm the only person who's ever gone through this, Right? And we go right out there and we take whatever it is that we're going through to heart in such a way as we think that nobody else understands and we assume that God wouldn't even understand. And I just feel there's at least one person here this early evening and you're going through something and you've got yourself into that place where you have convinced yourself and you've you've almost become self-pitying. You're feeling sorry for yourself and you're thinking, well, no one one else is standing with me, no one else gets this, no one else has been through this. I want to encourage you that God is with you and as it says here, he won't let you be tempted beyond what you are able to endure. And you might think, well, that, that's, not, that's not working for me. This has happened and I've done this and I've done that. Hey, God is with you and he wants to help you and he wants to give you strength. And maybe you are making some bad decisions and some bad choices there. You don't need to make those bad decisions and those bad choices. God has a way out for you. God can help you through this. And probably part of that help that God has for you is the listening ear of somebody else in this room here or perhaps somebody who isn't in this room. But that help is likely to come in the form of a person who will sit with you, who will stand with you, who will pray for you, who will understand. And even if it doesn't come in that way, be assured that your God is with you and he has a way out for you. So I don't know who that is for, but if that is for you, I would encourage you to be encouraged by that. And that was from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. So if you want to take note of that and look that up in your own time and reflect on that more. Okay, kind of from the sublime to the ridiculous here. We're going to do something. This is going to look really suspect. I have 
three bags of white crystalline substance. And I'm going to ask for a volunteer. <laughs> now, under normal circumstances, if a big man with three bags of white crystalline substance says to you, can you come up and help me with something? Your answer would be? Oh, hang on. Your answer would be a resounding no. <laughs> no, no thank you. I will uh, not be helping you with anything. I will not even come near to you, but I can assure you what we're about to do is completely safe. Where's my friend Adam? Can you help me, mate? Can you come down? So, Adam, I am going to... You can... The good thing about this is you get to take the mask off for a moment, okay? What I want you to do is to wet your finger, dip your finger in there, and then tell me and the rest of us what is in there. You can hold it yourself as well. Okay. Remember, under normal circumstances, the answer is no. That is the normal answer, no. What's in there, Adam? Very good, very good. Yes, that sherbet in there. If you can actually, I think we'll go for this one. If you can, again, wet your finger, dip your finger in there and tell me what is in that bag. It's nothing that's going to harm you. Just dive in. That's salt. Okay, okay. Now we'll go for this one. Again, if you would wet your finger, dip your finger in there and tell us what is in that bag there. What substance is that? Sugar. Sugar, very good. So we had sherbet, we had salt, and we had sugar. So this was the salt. How did you know that it was salt? A familiar taste, yep. But I mean, sugar is also a familiar taste and sure, but probably not quite so familiar, but familiar. Yeah. Um, tasted like the ocean, kind of. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> very creative and poetic of you. <laughs> um, it had a very strong, savoury taste. Yep. So it's distinct, right? Yeah, it's distinct. It's a distinct taste. If, and I'm sure if I did that... Thanks, matey, thank you. If I was to do that with all of you, you probably would have had 100% success there as well, right? So he knew that there was salt in that bag because salt has a distinctive taste. Why does salt have a distinctive taste? Because it has distinctive chemical properties, right? It's a different substance to those other substances. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. This is what it says. Matthew 5, verses 13 through to 16. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
there's an inherent contradiction in there. It's written intentionally in a nonsensical way. Like if I was to say to you, can you get me some water that isn't wet? Be like, eh, pretty sure such a thing doesn't exist, right? You cannot have not wet water. Okay, yes, you can freeze it. You're right, smarty pants. Yeah, but you, you get my point. So if salt is no longer salty, well, well, actually, that's impossible for that to happen with pure sodium chloride. It cannot become unsalty. With the salt that they used to collect in Israel around the Dead Sea at that time, the saltiness would leach out of it eventually, and it, it could become like a, a white kind of powder. It would, wasn't of the kind of quality that we would be used to with the salt that we use. So he says, well, if salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. Definitive statement there. You are the salt of the earth. Salt was an essential, valuable, and visible everyday substance in Jesus' time. And its principal uses were to provide flavouring for food and also to provide preservation for food. So they used to salt food to preserve it, particularly meat, right? But also other types of foods as well, vegetables. In 2012, we went on a family holiday to New York. It was actually before we moved across to the UK. So we flew from Australia, across the States to New York, and we spent quite a bit of time in New York City. There are so many iconic sites in New York City. It's a fantastic place to visit. And not only are there iconic sites, there are also some iconic tastes in New York City as well. And we wanted to go to the famous Cat's Deli, like a cafe, if you like, where they do um, Jewish style of food there. They do uh, pastrami on rye and they do corned beef. They specialise in that kind of stuff. It's an incredibly busy, I'll call it a cafe, right, just so that I position it well for our understanding of what the establishment's like. You have to queue to get into this cafe. In fact, we queued for about 45 minutes just to get into the front door of the cafe. It's heaving inside. The tables are jammed, uh, and they're jammed in, and they are jammed with people. And then once you're inside the front door, you still have to queue for about another 15 minutes before you find yourself up at the counter and able to order. So the anticipation is building, the patience is also wearing thin. Mei Lin was doing her best to find a table for us in this jam-packed place. 
and you know, she found us a table there. I was ordering. I came back with the food. The kids are excited. We've got our pastrami and rye. We've got our fries, our, our hot chips. Josiah is absolutely hanging out for the chips because he loves hot chips, right? We sit down at the table. Josiah grabs the, sh the salt shaker and he pours salt all over his chips, but unfortunately it wasn't salt, it was sugar. And the chips were still so hot that the sugar crystallized, some of it melted, and let me tell you, sugar on hot chips is not a marriage made in heaven. Salt and fish and chips, marriage made in heaven, right? Uh, salt on a pretzel, marriage made in heaven. Salt and caramel, who would have known? Who would have known? A marriage made in heaven. Sugar and hot chips, no. Don't, don't try it. It is not worth trying. And straight away when he picked up one of those hot chips and tasted it, he didn't need to keep eating and then eventually it's like, oh my goodness, this isn't salt after all, this is sugar. It's a realisation straight away, isn't it? Because of that distinctiveness. Because salt is different to sugar. And it only gives its distinctiveness when it is added to something else, right? If the salt stays in a salt shaker or if the salt stays in a crystal without it being ground down and added to food, it's of no use. It doesn't change anything, right? But when you have that salt and you add it to its environment, if that environment happens to be food, it makes a difference. You are the salt of the earth. You are called to make a difference to your environment. You are called to live in such a way and think in such a way and act in such a way that there is a distinctiveness about who you are that makes a difference to those around you. You add flavour, you preserve people. You are a life giver, you are a giver of hope. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavour, what's it good for? Nothing. It's only useful when it's distinctive. You don't sit around the dinner table and say to the person next to you, can you please pass me the tasteless white powder? <laughs> I just feel like I need to add some tasteless white powder onto my food. If you went for what was salt, you added it to your food and there was no, there was no difference made to your food, you'd, you'd say, what is this? Something's gone wrong here. We've put the wrong substance into the wrong holder. What's happening here? And what would you do? You'd throw it out, right? You wouldn't keep it. If it was salt that wasn't salty, you wouldn't keep it. You'd toss it out. 
You can only be effective as a disciple of Christ if you maintain your distinctiveness. If you don't keep your distinctiveness, there is a compromise of your purpose. What does that distinctiveness look like? This could be sounding a little bit heavy at this point in time. It's like, oh man, I'm not sure I'm kind of, you know, as tasty as I need to be, as salty as I need to be. I'm not sure whether there's the distinctiveness about my life. Let me assure you, I'm not trying to get all judgmental and heavy here. When I was growing up, wow, if a preacher was preaching this, it would have gone that way. Definitely would have gone that way. Would have gone down quite a legalistic direction and it would have focused on, well, who are you hanging out with? What are you wearing? What are you listening to? Where are you going? The starting point for your distinctiveness is your relationship with Jesus. It's that intimacy that you have with Jesus that influences your heart, that influences your thinking. And when your heart and your thinking is aligned with Jesus, that affects your actions, right? And you start doing things that come out of that relationship that you don't have to be forced to do. You don't have to have someone twisting your arm to say, live the Jesus kind of life. You do it because you're in love with Jesus and it naturally flows. You are the salt of the earth. And it goes on. You are the light of the world. So the analogy changes now. The metaphor changes. You are the light of the world. No pressure, but Jesus actually calls himself the light of the world. <laughs> right? In John chapter 8 and verse 12, this is what Jesus says. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light is intended for illumination. Light is intended for seeing. The light of the gospel enables a lost and stumbling world to navigate life and faith. And this light-bearing commission or this commissioning to be light is not just something that Jesus says, well, this is me. Jesus also says, well, this is us. This is you. This is me. You are the light of the world. I used to spend quite a bit of time in Africa, in different parts of Africa, I used to spend a lot of time, particularly in Kenya. And I remember once I was preaching in rural Kenya. So outside of all of the major cities, and we're in a large tent, and this tent was lit up um, by electric lamps. It's an incredibly dark night. So it was one of those nights, it was quite overcast, so we didn't have a bright moon or stars illuminating the village that we were in. It was actually quite dark. And I know that it was incredibly dark because the electricity actually failed. And when you are in 
rural Kenya, a long way away from major cities, and when the sky is dark, and when you are preaching to a group of black people, and the lights go out, it is dark. It is dark. I was just hoping and praying that people would smile. And then, you know, there's perhaps some chance of, ah, okay, you're still there. And seriously, I was, I'd almost finished my preaching and I was about to start praying for people. And then you're in this ridiculous situation where you're trying to fumble around. Africans have a lot of ingenuity and they are able to make do with not much at all and it wasn't long at all before somebody actually sourced a kerosene lamp and we're in this big tent with hundreds and hundreds of people and they turned on the kerosene lamp and, ah, phew, we can finish. I can pray for you guys. You're still there. I'm not going to poke you in the eye when I try and pray for you anymore. You know, we're, we're going to be able to continue on with what God by the Holy Spirit is doing. A lot of people, the big area, very black night sky. But one small kerosene lamp, it helped us to continue on. Now, I mean, these days we would have pulled out our phones, right? And we would have had our screens turned on our torches and everything would have been okay quite quickly. That wasn't the scenario at that time. It was one kerosene lamp enabling us to be able to see what was going on around us. We have a friend who um, travels very regularly and I reckon he's a little bit OCD, I reckon. So he travels to a lot of different countries and he spends a lot of time in hotels and he cannot let there be any light in his hotel room, right? So when he travels, he takes pegs with him and he pegs the curtains together in his room so that no light can get through. He's become an expert at arranging his clothing from his suitcase to cover other areas so that no light will get in. He takes stickers with him to put over LED displays so that the, you know, the, the light on the TV isn't shining. He covers it over with a sticker. A little bit of light makes a big difference, yeah? When I was thinking about, speaking about this, it was amazing how I became really conscious of one of the LED lights that we have in our bedroom. I, I, we have a few, right? I can't remember whether it was a blue one or a red one, but just a little bit of light, you can actually see it from across. There's this little blue or red kind of uh, glow somewhere across the other side of the room. A little bit of light makes a big difference. Your light can make a big difference. Come on. Your light can make a big difference. Well, my light's not very bright. It's fairly dim. It can make a difference still. And then Jesus switches up the analogy slightly and he says, a city that is up on a hill it's not easily hidden. Well, why is that? Because typically when you have a city, there is a collection of lights, right? And so it is as the body of Christ, when we are together and we are shining our lights together, it is far more difficult for us to be ignored. 
if you like, we, we pull our light, we collect our light together, we let it shine collectively, and then we bring that Christ life to those around us too. And Jesus goes on and he keeps emphasising the illustration, he keeps underscoring it. He says, what would be the point of lighting a lamp and then sticking a bucket over the top of it? It would be stupid, right? Imagine you're in your house, you have your light fitting wherever your light fitting is, you ask someone to turn on the light fitting and then you say, by the way, can you find something to cover the light up? Because I don't really want that glow from the light. Well, I think I'll just flick the switch off, right? I think I'll just turn the thing off. Do you want light or do you not want light? Because if you want light, let the light shine. If you don't want light, turn it off. You are the light of the world. You are like a lamp that is supposed to give light to those around. Why on earth would you cover that light up? Now, over the years, I've heard people say to me, oh, yes, I'm a spiritual person or I'm a, a Christian, but that's a, that's a private thing. That's a very personal thing. That's not something that I uh, like to talk about. That's something that I, I like to keep to myself. How does that sound in light of what Jesus is saying here? How does that work in light of what Jesus is saying? If we are a disciple of Christ, if we're a follower of Christ, we are salt and we are light. Our faith is a public faith. If our faith has no expression publicly, then we're actually not living as disciples because disciples are salt and they are light. A disciple who hides their light, their distinctiveness as a follower of Christ is as pointless as a lamp that is covered over. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. What will this shining look like? It says, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The shining of this light will look like you living the Jesus kind of life that brings focus and glory to God. It will look like you bringing hope wherever you go. It will look like you bringing healing. It will look like you being a loving person. It will look like you being the kind of person that others can go to for help. It will look like you being a person who has listening ears. It will look like you being a generous person. It will look like you being a humble person. It will look like you being the kind of person who when they face difficulties and trials, they still hang on and they still keep going. And people look at you and they think, how the heck does that person keep going when they're going through what they're going through? It will look like you being a gracious person. It will look like you being a forgiving person. It will look like you being a pure person. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
we don't live this kind of life so that we look good. (laughs) We live this kind of life because we love Jesus. And when we live this kind of life, we bring focus to our great and our awesome God. And when we bring focus to our great and awesome God, then people fall in love with our great and our awesome God. And they can know the light and the love and the life and the hope that we have. Live the kind of Jesus life. Let the attitudes of the kingdom become the actions of the kingdom through your life. Just as salt was an essential, valuable, everyday ingredient in Jesus' day, so you are an essential, valuable, everyday ingredient for this world. You are more special than you realise. You are more necessary than you realise. You are more valuable than you realise. And part of that necessity and value is not just about who you are in and of yourself, it's about who Jesus wants to love through you. What does salt taste like in lockdown? We're not really in lockdown much anymore. It's eased pretty nicely, but just go with me. What does salt taste like in lockdown? It tastes like salt, right? It still tastes like salt. What does salt taste like when it's not in lockdown? It tastes like salt. What does salt taste like when you're having a bad day? What does salt taste like when you're having a good day? It still tastes like salt. What does salt taste like when you're at work? What does salt taste like when you're at home by yourself? What does salt taste like when you're at play, when you're with your family? What does salt taste like when you are out with your friends? It always tastes like salt because salt is salt and it's distinctive. Wherever you are, you are the salt of the earth. You can be a source of preservation and, and, and life and taste to the people who are around you. And what a beautiful privilege that is. If you are a disciple, that is somebody who follows Jesus, your purpose is to be salt and light. That is who you are. It's an identity issue. It's an identity issue. Some of you sitting here, you're on a journey of faith and you don't know at this point in time whether you are a follower of Christ or want to be a follower of Christ. That's totally okay. That's between you and God and uh, me or, or you feeling as though I'm defining you in this way might seem pretty unfair. And if you're not sure yet whether you want to follow Jesus, that would be unfair. So I'm certainly not saying to people who are on a journey of faith that 
that this is you. Jesus is very clearly saying that if you are a disciple, well, yeah, this is you. So if you're sitting here and you are a disciple of Christ, that is someone who is given to following Christ and living your life for Christ, then unapologetically I say to you, you are salt and you are light. If you're on that journey of faith and you're thinking, well, how does this relate to me? I want to challenge you to think that when your life is coupled to Christ, you can live that kind of life that brings love and hope and good to those around you. And you can live the kind of life that that preserves, that adds taste, that adds character. You can live that kind of life. But if you're on that journey, keep going on that journey and make sure that you adequately weigh up what it means to be a follower of Jesus. People very much like the thought of being able to define themselves in whichever way it is they want to define themselves. That's becoming a very, very popular concept. There's a lot that could be said about that and we don't have time to talk about that now. But what I will say to those of you who are following Christ, that when it comes to this issue of your identity in Christ, there's no negotiating here. The framework has been set. You are salt and you are light. And we are to live in this kind of way with this kind of identity because when we do, our great and awesome God is praised as people focus their attention on Him. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the life that it brings. Thank You, Lord, that You give us instruction and help to be the kind of people who You want us to be. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace the challenge of these kind of verses and that we would do our best to live the kind of Jesus life that brings hope and life and love to those around us and focus and praise and glory to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.